eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball with MLB insider John Heyman and former Major Leaguer Tony Gwynn Jr. It is my pleasure to bring in Ron Swoboda to Big Time Baseball. Uh, Ron, I think almost everybody will recall you from the 69 world series and your fine nine-year career and um, you know it's unfortunate to bring you on at this time obviously uh, in the wake of uh, the untimely death of uh, the great the great the greatest pitcher i ever saw pitch uh, tom Seaver. i grew up in new york uh 1969 i was eight years old i was at game five and uh, you guys brought incredible memories incredible memories to all of us new yorkers uh, to saw them to see the Miracle Mets, uh, their amazing championship, probably the most amazing World Series championship uh, in baseball history, and probably the wor- most amazing that uh, we'll ever see. So it's a pleasure to have you on, Ron, uh, and uh, thank you for joining us uh, for Tony Gwynn Jr. and I on this uh, on this uh, podcast. So, uh, Ron, um, as we get started here, the first thing is the the initial impressions of uh, of Tom Seaver and my condolences to you because uh, it's obviously a big loss to the Mets family. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, he um, he 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 left a lot of wake uh, in in his passing. Um, you know, twenty year career with the numbers he put up, um, and and the kind of person he was, and the fact that he went on and created this incredible wine operation out in Calistoga, growing three and a half acres of Cabernet and, and, and making from that a spectacular wine. Uh, you know, he, he did everything with a level of excellence that, you know, mere mortals like me can only look at with envy, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, when you saw Tom Seaver, he came up to the big leagues, uh, from AAA in 1967 and we weren't much of a team and we didn't give him a whole lot of help. And he still won. He still won a bunch of games and, and had a pretty good ERA. And you saw in Seaver, a guy who just came right out of the chute 
uh, uh, with the kind of stuff that, that was going to take him to the Hall of Fame. Once you saw him in a few games, you, you realized, and, and it, there was no break-in period. He was Tom Seaver from day one. And, and, and day one, by the way, they were experimenting with me in 1967 as a first baseman. So I'm in there playing first base and Seaver's on the mound. And, you know, he threw that damn thing hard to first base, you know, and I'm, like, oh, I'm already too close to the hitter, you know, and, and I, uh, it took me a little few games to disabuse them of what was a pretty bad idea, but I had, practiced at first base a lot in spring training because they uh, they thought they had uh, an idea that Ed Craneville and I could platoon there. Um, <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> Ron, how how well did Tom fit in? You, you had been there two years prior to him showing up on the scene in 67. How, sure. well, did, did, how well did he fit in uh, as, as a young guy uh, in his first season at the big league level? You know, he was he was that guy who showed up and you saw this glow around him and you realized we weren't a team of, of you know, we weren't, we weren't showing a lot of potential superstars, okay, back then in 67, uh, you know, and Seaver showed up and you realized, oh my goodness, this is what, this is what it looks like uh, when you see somebody gifted, motivated, confident, you know, with power stuff that he could command. Um, he had it all. And, and, and um, you know, both hands on the steering wheel, and he knew where he was going. Um, you, you mentioned uh, you didn't give him much help in uh, 1967, and he still won, as it turns out, 16 games, which is pretty miraculous that he was able to win 16 games and uh, did win Rookie of the Year, deservedly so. Uh, that's a little before my time, but I certainly remember that 69 World Series uh, being at Game 5, and it actually was at Game 4 where you made that incredible catch off of your, I believe that was your idol growing up in Baltimore, Brooks Robinson. Uh, take us back to that catch, which was, I believe, in the ninth inning. It was very late in the game, and I think the score uh, at the time uh, they had was it zero to zero? I'm not sure, but uh, game four, uh, Seaver actually ended up winning that game, and uh, thanks to your catch. Uh, what do you recall about that? Well, you know, I had worked pretty hard. Uh, you know, you come up and play in the outfield in Shea Stadium. It's a tough place to play outfield because it stood so tall. And, and, and baseball very rarely came out of the crowd. So you were always tracking them against the mercuric background. You could make some really bad looking mistakes there in front of a lot of people. And, and, you know, of course it was a major market, but, uh, I worked hard, uh, on line drives, ground balls. I tried to practice all the tough plays in the outfield and, and made myself a little bit better outfielder than conventional wisdom. Um, you know, would, 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 uh, would have rated me. Um, and so, you know, here we are, you, you know, in, in game, game four, it's a pivotal game. We're up two games to one, got a one nothing lead. Seaver would tell you he had less than his best stuff in that game, but he's shutting out the Orioles through eight innings in the ninth inning. Uh, Frank Robinson, uh, bangs a hard single, uh, uh, Kyle follows him with one. He hits it out to me in right field. 
So we got runners at first and third, less than two outs. And 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 Hodges comes out to the mound to talk to Seaver. When I was writing my memoir, Here's the Catch, I asked Tom on the phone what what the conversation was about because I was curious and and I hadn't known before. And he said to me on the phone, I have no memory of that. And this was after the this was after the dementia was taking hold. And it, it struck me like a blow in the chest to think that for me, those memories are all gold. And I know it's the same for Tom, except that something had weaseled its way into his brain and stolen the memory and it's gone forever. And that was, that was really disturbing to me. But I, I, I later found out that Hodges came out and told him, look, if it's a ground ball back to you, check the runner at third. Don't, don't immediately assume a double play. We want to stop that run from, from scoring. So that's what they were talking about. And, you know, we're in, we're in trouble here. And, and, and Brooksy, who had power to, to, to right field and right center, he bangs the line drive. And I took what I thought was the best angle I could get to intersect that thing. And, I only ran about three, four strides, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to think about steepening the angle or playing it safe. I never saw any safe on that except to go for the ball, and I went for it thinking, you know, most of the way, you're, you're, you're going to be a day late and a dollar short here, except I laid out to my backhand, and that thing hit me in the web, and I went, oh, my God, you just made one hell of a catch. You know, I mean, it, the, the thought comes to mind. I come up, I skid a little ways and come up and throw. Frank Robinson, a great player, uh, tags up and he he scores the tying run. So it it becomes a it becomes a gaudy sacrifice fly, you know, a little extraordinary sacrifice fly. Um, Brooks Robinson, who was struggling to get a base hit, uh, finally hit one pretty good, and he gets robbed by me, a kid who grew up in Baltimore, loving him, uh, you know, thinking this was the coming of, of, of another, you know, uh, Hall of Fame third baseman when he came up with the Orioles and, and, uh, and it, and it came to pass. But yeah, um, that was for me, you know, I wrote in my book, I quoted Browning something about if your reach, you know, cannot exceed your grasp, then what is a heaven for, you know? And, 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 you know, that's what it felt like for me. I mean, that was outside that was outside the norm and anything that would be expected from me as an outfielder, but it happened. And if it gets by me, you know, they might, the Orioles might score two runs and, and we didn't score in the bottom of the ninth. And, and, you know, oddly enough in, in his first year, uh, in his first, uh, 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 Cy Young Award season for Seaver in 1969. He could have started that World Series 0 and 2, and we would have been 2 and 2 with the Orioles going to Game Five instead of, you know, up three to one with a chance to put it away. That is truly an amazing story. I, I want to stay with that 69 season, Ron, because as you mentioned, that was Tom Seaver's first year winning the Cy Young Award. What do you remember? Because he, he set his career high in wins, 25 wins. What do you remember about him during the season and, and, and the performances he was giving? Well, you know, um, you remember right before the All-Star break, um, he had 
he had that almost perfect game against the Cubs. And, and of course, by the All-Star break, the Cubs were the team we were chasing. The, the, the race sort of laid itself out. It was going to be, you know, we were, we had earlier won 11 straight and kind of vaulted into, into, into contention. And, and the Mets had made at the end of June, which then was the, was the uh, trading deadline. They had traded for Don Clendenin. And, and that made a big difference. He came in loaded for bear and ready to play and, and, and gave us power from the right side and platoon with Ed Craneful at first base. I think Clendenin was the missing piece without whom I, you know, I don't know if we win it, but, but he was huge. And, and so, you know, we're rolling along at, at the all-star going into the all-star break or, or thereabouts before the all-star break. Um, Seaver pitches against the Cubs and, and, and uh, he's got no hit stuff. It's he's, He's blowing them down. I mean, it is. It it looks like a classic overmatch with a team that could swing the bat. And and uh, um, who who breaks it up in the ninth inning? But Jimmy Qualls with a line drive to left center field, and 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 spoils the perfect game. But before that happens, Seaver stops on the mound in the ninth inning. And he's just standing there rubbing the ball up, and he scans the stands. And we're like 10 deep in standing room only. It's incredible. And, and, the, and, the, and the vibe and the electricity in the ballpark, he takes it all in. And, and I thought that was like, what a presence of mind, you know? It's, it's like, wow. Because I think he figured this was done. He knew he knew what he had, and so he cranked one up to uh, Jimmy Qualls, and boom, uh, clearing away base hit. And, and oddly enough, Qualls had just come up from the minor league and did not play much in the big league. But he had had two at-bats against Seaver and, and had pretty good swings at the ball. You know, he had pretty good hacks at his fastball, and, and that's what he hit in the left center field. And, and, you know, Seaver said after that game, that's the worst I ever felt on or off the ball diamond. And, and that says to me an awful lot about the standards. You know, if that's what David was feeling, a one hit shutout, you know, (laughs) he he wanted the perfect, he wanted the perfect game. He wanted that, you know, that, that, complete article there you know and and it didn't happen and it didn't happen with the Mets oddly enough he had four or five uh one hitters but but uh it, it's it's incredulous to me that he never with the kind of stuff he had with what he took out there every day never missed the start and and um you know and and somehow and I think he reached for it because he came up with a little bit of a stiff shoulder um, and and was and did not pitch in the All Star game, you know, hmm. pitch in the All Star game. But he came back after the All Star game, and what he and Kuzman did those last six weeks of the season was was ridiculous. You look it up. I mean, if if they lost one game between them, it seems like it would have been a lot. I mean, those two guys formed a one-two punch that was killer. We were winning three out of four the last six weeks of the season. So it wasn't the Cubs, uh, you know, they, they hit a dry spell end of uh, 
end of August, first of September, and and we we went by them like they were sitting on the side of the road changing a flat tire. You know what I mean? And, yeah, absolutely. That never that... Looked back. We never looked back. You know, and we we just kept rolling. But we were we were in turbo, and and they hit a little dry spell, and it was over. Yeah, that near perfect game uh, that Jimmy Seaver and Kuzman. It was Seaver and Kuzman, uh, and you know, and and everybody else filled in. But but I'm telling you that 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 boom boom. See you later. That near perfect game, uh, the Jimmy Qualls game, that's memorable to all of us. I was at summer camp, uh, eight years old, and uh, I remembered it as a bloop. You you said line drive. I I think you're being you might be being kind to Qualls. He had 31 hits in his career, and uh, that's funny that you would. Uh, Seaver would remember that as the worst time for him. Uh, that that perfect game that that quite wasn't. But uh, you know, I wanted to ask you just generally. Uh, the Clendenin uh, uh, acquisition was a key, and uh, you got rolling. You talked about that. But '69, I mean, the whole season is is amazing to us. The Mets had never even had a winning season to that point, and were terrible wow, we're- in '68. Right? You were ninth place in '68. When did I mean? I, yeah, I we were, you thought you were going to win the World Series, but when did you even think you had a good team in 69? When did you realize it hit you? You know what? We're pretty darn good here. Well, you know what? It, we, we, Hodges, you know, Hodges was trying a lot of stuff early on. Now, Hodges, Hodges said, you know, he said something in spring training. He said, um, he said this team could win 90 games in spring training to one of the writers. And, you know, I remember looking around and go, us? Now, now we, <laughs> we, won, we won 70, 71, 72 games in, 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 uh, in, in 68. And, and we, we had Kuzman and Seaver and, and Nolan Ryan and Gary Gentry and Jim McAndrew and, and um, uh, you know, some uh, Tug McGraw, some pretty good young arms. We felt like, we could get better, but when you haven't been anywhere and you don't know, you don't know the route, right? You don't, you don't, you don't know what it feels like. And, and we're bubbling around 500 at the end of May, 1969. And the California teams come in to Shea and we blitz them. We, we sweep them and start what became an 11 game win streak. Well, we've never won 11 straight in the history of the franchise. Not even close to that, okay? Um, we reel off 11 straight. It starts in Shea and finishes up on the coast against those same California teams, which, you know, is ironic anyway because the Mets, you know, symbol and colors are an amalgamation of the Giants and Dodgers, the two national teams that left there back in 19, you know, their last season, I think, was 57 and headed for the coast, you know. So so we were the National League team. We had the Dodgers script and the Giants orange was part of our orange and the blue was Dodger blue and the, you know, it it, it was uh, you know, the Mets the Mets the NY on the hat was shaped like the New York Giants NY way back when. So we're an amalgamation of those two teams that left New York. And and what do we do? The first time in the history of the franchise we start this run and, uh, you know, San Diego was, was an expansion team in 69 and, and, and not, not that good. And, and, um, so, so, so we, we get going and that's when they made the Don Clendenin deal. When we vaulted 
into, I said before, contention, uh, that's when they made the Clendenin deal. They said, we might need this other piece. And they traded Steve Rinko, a pretty good young right-hander who substantiates the deal by himself. But there were three or four other players that went with him to Montreal. But we got we got the piece. You know, we got the piece we needed because our offense always, you know, always could use a little help. Cleon Jones was having a great year of vying for a batting title. Tommy Agee had some pop. And, you know, the rest of us fed in there what we could do. Our Chansky and I eventually became the platoon in right field. We platooned at, 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 at a bunch of spots in left field. In, I mean, not in left field, in right field with uh, me at first base, uh, at second base, at third base, you know. Um, so, so we were a team, you know, we were a team that, that, that had turned into something, had, had come up with an identity and it was, it was strict platoon, but you had guys who were playing and ready to play and pinch hit and do something if they were needed in a game. And, and so your, your extra men were ready, you know, and, and that made a difference too. And nobody wants to be platoon. But it worked for us that year once things had sort of settled in. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Ron, we've talked a lot about the exploits on the field in terms of Tom and, and this Mets organization. What kind of guy was, was Tom off the field? Oh, Tom, you know, Tom, Tom knew. I mean, we always thought he had a pretty exalted view of himself for very good reasons. You know, he carried himself with a lot of dignity. You know, he did. He he knew he knew he he had something special. He was a smart guy. He understood. You know, look, great pitchers don't just have great stuff. They're smart and they remember everything, and and they remember how they handled certain guys in certain situations. And I don't know that he wrote any of this down. I don't know that. Rusty Staub, a great hitter, um, kept a book on everybody. But Seaver's book, uh, you know, he he remembered uh, what to do, and, and he knew where his strength was, and, 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 and he had a, a great sense of where he was out there on the mound. And when he went out there, he went out to pitch nine innings and get the win. You know, nowadays, you look at the complete games in, 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 uh, in, in his career, and, and you know, you, you're talking about an era of baseball that will never come back. He expected to be out there. If it took him 120, 130 pitches, uh, you know, that's what he intended to do. But off the field, he was the same guy. You know, I mean, he's, he had a dignity and a, and a bearing about him, you know, that, you know, uh, uh, clowns like me looked at and went, boy, <laughs> I wish. But, but that's what he did. <laughs> And, and, you know, he had, he was like Eddie Cranepool said it the other day, like the North Star. You know, you looked at him and said, this is this is the guy you follow. And and you knew, you know, I mean, you knew you weren't going to have to worry about where he was when the sun went down. You know, Tom's not out there clowning around. He's he's you know, he's taking care of himself. He he knows what his purpose is. He's focused in a way that, you know, um. Uh, some of us normal humans uh, probably couldn't achieve, and and uh, and you saw that. You you saw it every way. And and you know when he did interviews, his interviews were smart. 
and full of observations that you went, wow, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. You know, he, he, was, um, he was a sharp guy. You know, we went out to his place out in Calistoga, uh, Art Shamsky, when he wrote his book, um, uh, took me, Buddy Harrelson, who was Tom Seaver's best buddy and roommate, and Jerry Kuzman out to Tom's place in Calistoga. That he he found this property, and it was full of pine trees and Douglas fir, and he he saw the way the land was laying and put a beautiful modern home up on the hillside and filled it up full of really extraordinary art. Um, and I'm a big art fan, and, and I was wowed when we walked through there and he showed us his stuff. And, and then you look down the hill at three and a half acres uh, that was, uh, you know, under cultivation at the time, early in the growing season with Cabernet Sauvignon. It, it's considered a big Cabernet area. And then, you know, he makes this spectacular wine, you know, from it. If you ever, ever have a, an opportunity to let a little bit of that GTS uh, pass over your lip and um, do it. By all means, do it. Do it. And, and so he loved, he showed us around and he was so proud of what he had done. And, and you know, unless you've seen um, serious wine, you know, grape wine cultivation, you haven't seen agriculture as fine and as detailed as this. Nothing happens by accident. It was it was really impressive. And you you know, and he's got the Cy Young Award balls on the wall and the wins, you know, baseballs from his wins as a player up on the wall. He's got a few of these things. But you were aware then that the dementia was starting to take a toll and had stolen some of his memories. But but remember this, this man lived his dream as a player and after a player. He lived his dream in a way that most of us can only uh, imagine. To that, to that complete, to that complete game point, two hundred and thirty-one complete games in his career, just absolutely amazing. <laughs> isn't, isn't that something? That is, um, you, you know, that is, you know, I remember at an autographing session one time. Uh, Seaver and Kuzman, we we had we were in New York and uh, we had watched a guy pitch for the Mets who had a shutout after five innings and bails out of the game with like eighty pitches or something like that, you know. Right. <laughs> he went, what the hell? What the hell? You know. Uh, and 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 at the autographing thing the next day. Seaver and Kuzman were talking about when did you start, you know, in terms of pitch counts, when did you start feeling like you were losing it, like like you were gassing out? And it was like 130, 140 pitches. You know, they were ready to go. And, and you know, of course, back then, that wasn't as unusual. You know, there, there were, you know, Juan Marichal and, you know, pitched some epic long games. And Seaver, as you mentioned, in game four went 10 innings without what he thought was his best stuff. And and and, and he finished that game because, you know, Hodges, you got Tom Seaver out there and, and you got the bullpen and they were all ready. But if Seaver said, I'm good, you're going to let him go, aren't you? 
I think your description of him as a smart and confident uh, really, really uh, summarizes Tom Seaver uh, as aptly as you can in, in only a couple of words. I had the occasion to uh, meet him a couple of times as he broadcasts for the Yankees and for the Mets and nationally as well. And uh, growing up in New York, I was a little bit intimidated. Nothing he did or said that uh, it was just me. It was intimidating to see a, a legend like that uh, in the flesh. But uh, uh, you were right about him being a smart guy. In fact, even an intellectual, uh, Dan Shaughnessy, the great uh, columnist from the uh, Boston Globe, uh, has talked about how he had, when Seaver was on the 86 Red Sox, uh, ironically enough, uh, facing the Mets, and he was actually injured at that time and wasn't able to uh, perform in that uh, World Series against the Mets. I'm sure he provided some tips for some of the Red Sox people as being the smart guy he was. But Shaughnessy talks about how he'd have to get, when he travel with the team and how Shaughnessy would have to get up very early in the morning to get the one copy of the New York Times that was uh, at the hotel to beat Seaver to get it because Seaver uh, was a reader of the New York Times, which not every ball player uh, reads, but uh, that's how he described it. I was finished as a player. I was between jobs in television. I did about 20 years of local television sports, and I was darn lucky to do it after my career. But I, I remember visiting with Tom, and he had a he had a bum knee. His knee was gone, and that was going to be his career. Um, and and yeah, the irony that he's in in the other clubhouse and and in the other dugout when that '86 team, which I still consider one of one of my favorite New York Met teams. I mean, they were full of characters <laughs> and rambunctious as hell, and you know they they had some guys that. Uh, that could go game a little bit, you know, they weren't going to, you know, you, you weren't going to dent them too easy. Uh, if you could have, they would have been beaten by the Red Sox who had them down and almost out uh, until that, uh, you know, until game that, that game six, you know, and, and uh, they could have gone away very easily. Uh, but, but, you know, they weren't, they weren't ready to let it go. And that was, that's one of my favorite Met teams. And Mookie Wilson, one of the most amazing guys um, who, who to this day swears he would have beat Billy Buckner to first base on that ground. <laughs> uh, well, he might have. I don't know. It's hard to tell on, on the tape. Look how, but, uh, you, look how, you, you look how Buckner was on his heels and, and Mookie could run. And, and, you know, and he was going to have to catch it and then generate some forward motion. And I don't know. I think I, I like Mookie's case uh, better. <laughs> you might be right there. And it's interesting to talk and people won't remember necessarily that Seaver was part of that 86 Red Sox team. But as us New Yorkers grew up, we felt that uh, he should have been a Met his whole career. And as we know, he threw his uh, no hitter finally uh, with, with we, he threw the no-hitter with the Reds, and he won his 300th game with the White Sox. And, uh, you know, that sticks in the craw of a lot of us New Yorkers. And you were a sportscaster, I think, uh, by this time. But what do you recall about the actual trade that uh, was part of the Midnight Massacre and all of us New Yorkers uh, did not like with the Reds? What, what, what do you think happened there? What, what spurred that on, that they would trade? It was, it was, was it three or four for one? Four, and it was, yeah. Doug Flynn and, and Wayne Granger. Um, Pat Zachary. Uh, it was Pat Zachary and uh, it was uh, Henderson, Norman, and Flynn and Pat Zachary. 
Yes, and and uh, Doug Flynn used to tell this wonderful story. It, it, it really a joke. When the deal was done, Pete Rose, Pete Rose came over to Flynn and, and said to Flynn, "You just been traded." And Flynn said, "Where?" He said, "The Mets." And 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 he said, "For who?" And he said, "Tom Seaver." And and Flynn, who was this little, you know, this light hitting shortstop, goes. Straight up. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> but anyway, Flynn is a great guy. Flynn is a great guy. And and but I mean that story just you know it's like traded for Tom Seaver straight up. <laughs> what do you think triggered? Uh, what do you think triggered that trade? Uh, did, was it the money? Was it the uh, personality? What what could have done that? Because that was a huge mistake. You know, I think everybody wants to blame Dick Young, who had, you know, Dick Young used to be kind of a player's writer. Um, and, and then as he got older, it seemed like uh, his sources were ownership. And somehow they they wanted to lay the blame on Dick Young, a writer for the Daily News, um, wrote a column, sports column, that, that he had sort of poisoned the atmosphere there uh, for Seaver and, and, and maybe the team needed to make a transition at that point, dump dump the salary and move on uh, to something else. What they managed to do was get pretty mediocre for a long, long time. Uh, maybe mediocre is a kind word. Um, but, uh, uh, y- you know, that, that trade, that trade was, I think, um, every, everything about, Seaver was maybe uh, a, a you know a little too much personality for him and too smart for him and and um, uh, you know I I think that that more than anything uh, they they wanted to move him out of the way so so you know especially Donald Grant who wanted to have more control of the team and and uh, you know receiver had a lot of gas left in the tank at that point in time and and uh, and what they got didn't make them uh, didn't make them a great team that's for sure it didn't didn't improve the team that's for sure absolutely not certainly didn't but you certainly improved our podcast uh, big time baseball uh, Ron Swoboda. it's really been a pleasure having you on uh, you, you sell yourself short you're very self-deprecating you were certainly one of the heroes of that 69 World Series the Probably the most memorable, at least in my mind, <laughs> major Absolutely. league history. Well, and uh, we really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, uh, Ron. Thank Spoboda. you so much, Ron. Yeah, uh, John, Tony, nice to be with you. You guys be well and be safe. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Indeed. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.